the water's fine, homie, jump into the deep end, sow it, you will reap it, we talking how to start it, how to grow it, how to keep it, take a deep breath, you are now rocking with Founder Secrets. Hello, hello, we got Eliana with us on the pod today, welcome. Hello, hello, Fabio. So you're the founder of Modern Ritual Health, and why don't we start by sharing a little more about uh, modern ritual, how how it came into being, especially kind of how you how you went through the first iterations of it. So it's always easy to start with what it is today, because if you have a startup, you could start with what you started on your paper napkin as what it looked like, and there's a 50-50 shot of that's what it looks like uh, today. So Modern Ritual Health is a virtual dermatology company. We help primary care providers, pharmacists, point of care clinicians who typically see the majority of skin concerns, rashes, moles, lesions, and we connect them with dermatologists rapidly who help provide them with a diagnosis, treatment plan, and if need be, help them get their patient in faster to an in-person dermatologist for a biopsy or next steps. So when we started out, which is what I think you're alluding to, was uh, a small idea that my mother and I had when we were graduating or when I was graduating from undergrad, which was a sunscreen brand that was targeting male clients. And we came up with this idea after both seeing all a lot of the men in my family get skin cancer and my mother being a skin cancer surgeon for 30 years, we had this kind of big aha, let's combine my experience working in startups and her knowledge of dermatology and create this men's targeted sunscreen lotion. And we did that for about a year and a half, grew it quite considerably, got it on Katie Couric and the Today Show and Men's Health Product of the Year and had a lot of fun. But in parallel, I realized that I was having the most fun by working directly with our customers. And so many of our customers were skin cancer survivors. And they would reach out to us because they'd say, I saw your TikTok and I saw you talk about the warning signs and symptoms for skin cancer. You know, can I send you a photo of my spot or my mole or my rash? And this would happen again and again. And I saw how frustrating it was that we actually couldn't do anything for them, but then started to have the idea, well, what if we could do something? Um, and so last year we pivoted the company to entirely focus on that problem, which while I still am incredibly passionate about prevention, we started to look at early detection as the other key unlock to really tackling what is now this um, access barrier for patients in accessing dermatology. You look confused, Taylor. <laughs> no. <laughs> how, how, do you, how do you handle the liability of if you were to get something wrong. I, I guess that that's where my mind immediately jumps to is that, oh no, you know, it sounds high, maybe not high risk, but, but, you know, high liability. How, how do you kind of handle something like that? You and other investors I've talked to in the past who are worried about liability, right? But then you look at <laughs> Cologuard, you look at um, Heartbeat Health, like all of these companies that have come to life that are all around helping patients have greater access to data about their health and longevity. But the shortest answer is we work like a dermatology clinic. You go into a healthcare provider today and they might give you hopefully the right answer, but they're also humans and maybe they're 
there's something that goes wrong. But at the end of the day, what they're doing is they have malpractice insurance. They've worked with healthcare legal advisors. They've done their groundwork. And what they're really doing is building a relationship with the providers. So that's to say we've set ourselves up based off of the experience my mother has with her clinic over the last 30 years and how she's been able to build a practice that sees over 100,000 patients and use that as the groundwork for how we could set our company up from the beginning to work well with provider groups and patients to mitigate liability risk as a whole. So you mentioned your experience from other startups. Were you at other startups or did you start other companies before this? So previously, when I was graduating from school, I, well, even in undergrad, I've kind of been one of those tinkerers. I'm the annoying one on a car ride who's like, let's think of ideas of things that could exist in this big, bad world. And everyone's like, shut up. I just want to play 20 questions. And I, so in college, I tried to work with local businesses and help set up a local tea house and expand its campus grounds. And then I worked in my mother's business in the back office. Like, that's just, I'd like to get my hands dirty. So when I did graduate from school, I went and joined Venture for America, which is a two-year fellowship that you work in a startup or a venture capital fund um, in a city that is ripe for innovation and growth. And so I went to St. Louis and I worked at Boeing's venture capital fund for nearly three years working on their investment team. Um, and part-time started working on the company with my mother and did all of these nighttime boot camp courses and did these innovation challenges and inch by inch eventually got to the point where I realized, you know what, there's never a good time to, to start a company. COVID seems like the best time to start the company. So quit my job, went full time, moved back home for a few months and eventually moved to um, New York and we incorporated the company in Chapel Hill. How do you kind of think of like being a tinkerer? Well, okay. So, so the founder story sounds good, right? Your mom is in the industry, you know, the, uh, the, the family, you know, males in the family, not paying attention to skin cancer, melanoma and whatnot. Um, is it one of those scenarios where you thought, wow, this is a really, really good idea and then created the story around it? Or is it, were you inspired and you're like, I'm going to do something and kind of around skin or around uh, melanoma or what have you? So early on when I was, this is now 2018, I'm graduating from school, I'm joining Venture for America and no way at that point was I like, in two, three years, I'm starting a business with my mom. That is a hundred percent what my company one day will be. And it will have this story about my dad involved and it's going to be this huge business. And I'm going to spend every day talking to my mom, at least for two to three hours. like. But we're close. We weren't that close. It sounds believable. Right? Um, instead, I was like, oh, okay, maybe we could make a app that tracks your sunscreen compliance. And that data will someday be really interesting. Or my mom has these cool ideas. Let me work on the weekend, make her a website. And then, okay, now she's looking, we're looking for product sourcing. Okay, I'll, I'll make a spreadsheet. And then, oh, I'm not going to go out this weekend. I'm going to stay online and we're going to go edit the copy for this blog post. And it's funny how these things do create a story around themselves, because in retrospect, it's easy to be like, wait, I was putting up flyers on my college campus about why there shouldn't be free tanning beds and doing these things. But the whole time I didn't have this like grand plan 
there were no style like to go and and start this crazy thing. It was just like these are the things that I care about and find interesting and like doing. So I'm gonna keep. Someone says like to follow your curiosity, not your passion. I'm very much so on that. I didn't know what my passion. I wasn't going to medical school, but I do find these things really interesting. And so over time, that's that's led to this. Do tanning beds give you skin cancer? Just a little bit. Just oh, a little. Oh man. Uh, I, I, Flavia's mind is blown. Uh, they're so not, they're not great. Luckily, North Carolina has some of the strictest tanning bed regulations now, hmm. but there's interesting studies showing that college, um, tanning companies would sponsor the stadiums hmm. for football teams and they would allow free tanning sessions for the cheerleaders and they'd be offered in the dormitory rooms and all these things were like health credits and you could get them as a part of your health yeah. credit card during a campus. Wow. It's like getting a health credit for working for, for eating McDonald's uh, every day. By the way, hey, for Venture of America, did you um, meet Andrew Yang? You know, the year I joined, uh, he transitioned. So I did not, I did not uh, personally meet, but he was at my, you have to go through this kind of audition group interview. And he was at that day. And he said, who here has read my book? And everyone raised their hand. And I just looked around and I was like, there's a book. <laughs> um, I don't have time to read your breakfast. book. I'm nervous for this interview. <laughs> everyone else is reading. Yeah, fun story. When we were starting uh, iMedicare, um, it was the, the Democratic National Convention in Charlotte. And Andrew Yang came to the thing. And I spent a whole day chasing him around with the hopes of him investing in it. And after wasting a whole day, uh, not being in my booth, talking to actual people um he ended up just like brushing me off and it turned into nothing so uh that's my <laughs> story but um, the new ceo uh, for a while um amy nelson she was very supportive when we were i i do credit vfa was kind of the seed that kept saying you know did you start it are you gonna start it when you started yeah. so they were the first accelerator type that's program awesome. that we went through and when the pivot, I mean, it must be hard because you had, like you said, Katie Couric and uh, like all these 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 sales revenue in that uh, initial idea of skin uh, of um, uh, skin cream. What? How did you give that up? You know, like it's hard to say no to money. I mean, I guess it wasn't enough to sustain the business, but how did you say no? We're going to focus on this new thing that's generating zero revenue. And nothing else, as opposed to say keeping both of them and doing them kind of side by side. Oh, you're distilling down many hours and many brain hours into one thought in one sentence. Okay, so there's a couple of things ways that I try to live my life and make decisions as a whole. One of them is always the like, in two years, will I look back and have a regret about this? And so when I was starting the company, it was like, in two years, will I have a regret if I didn't start this company versus if I stayed on the current path? And like, which one will I? And if I can choose based off of that, I will always live a life of fewer minimal regrets because I made that, you know, that decision, you know, crap happens, things change. But as a whole, it was this question of first, when considering this new opportunity, I would have had serious regrets in my life if I had not pursued this opportunity that I could just see there was this gap. Like when you're, when you see a problem and you're like, I don't have the answer. I don't have the business model yet, but I know this is such a huge problem. Like that's so exciting. And I felt that way about the problem space for access and dermatology. 
the problem space for um, sunscreen is I could see that it was being tackled. The men's skincare market, I said it over and over, is booming. It is still booming. It's growing so rapidly and it's a really exciting space. But I, a lot of it came back down to um, we were doing so many things. We were trying to make a better product, uh, build a brand, and build a build brand community and do so in a way that was cost effective. In reality, it probably would have been a better idea to pick one of those three things to focus in on. But I wasn't excited about that category in the way that I could feel myself itching to work on the early detection space. And so, yeah, that I thought about how do I want to spend the next five to 10 years of my life? And how do I want to respect our investors time and our customers time? And that's how we ultimately made the decision over six months of, of actually transitioning product away and selling through our product on Amazon and all of these other things that we did over time to make that work. You started in North Carolina and then moved to New York, which I also did. We joined this Blueprint Accelerator in New York. How was your transition from North Carolina to New York? Why'd you move? And uh, how do you compare the two places for entrepreneurship? Oh, for entrepreneurship. I thought you were going to say in general. <laughs> There's a few, few differences. Um, Not politically, just entrepreneurship. <laughs> all right. I think that there are communities, if you look for them wherever you you go, I think that's what St. Louis in Missouri, like that's what I learned there that I could, I kind of really embedded myself in the startup ecosystem through VFA and other things that I just signed up for. And I think that being in New York, it's an easier, it's just an easier starting point. Like your threshold to start at, it's just, there's a, a happy hour for healthcare almost every other weekend. And the opportunity for luck is so much higher. And that's always the like, you're trying to stay around long enough to get lucky. You're trying to be around enough people to get lucky. And so um, I talked with a friend the other day who said, you know, he was in the elevator with a customer of ours. Now they're customers. It's it's one of those scenarios. It's just by pure nature of density that especially I think healthcare over the last what 10 years, New York has changed a lot and what it's being seen as for like a healthcare conglomerate's not the right word, but but center centerpiece for uh, innovation. And so that's how I think about New York. I like to think it's the narrative first versus the, remember you asked me like, is it the story or is it that? The story is, uh, you know, we got an accelerator. It's great for innovation, but in reality is great for my mental health to be around a city that felt like it was full of life and that it was okay for me to care a lot about my my work and my job. That was cool in some regards. And uh, meet a lot of other people who felt the same way. So for all moving fast and doing a lot of things, that's not, I don't feel guilty for, for doing that. I got to say, that's not the answer I expected. That New York was great for your mental health. It wasn't at first, but after, but after <laughs> a little bit. It's not great for my wallet. I can tell you that. <laughs> um, but it is good when you're trying to, I think the whole, when you're trying to meet other founders and to be connected, sometimes it's it's nice to just, you know, go go to a co-working space during the day or tag on to someone else's co-working space for a day and uh, work together and get new and fresh perspectives on what you're doing. 
How do you feel about kind of AI? You know, a lot of people when they talk about healthcare and health tech and things, that the kind of that there are people who believe that AI is going to change every aspect of the world, including healthcare, and then there are those who think that this is just some, you know, this is all overblown. I mean, how do you kind of think about that specifically in regards to kind of your business, like? You know, do you think AI models would kind of inspect um, images of moles and then make these predictions or make these analyses? Like, how, how do you kind of think of that? I think that my time when I was at Boeing actually informed my thoughts now about this a lot because one of the comments I would go to these internal teams and say, "This is really cool, sexy startup that's doing um, AI analysis for X, Y, or Z," and they would come back and be like, "We've been working on this for the last twenty-five years." You know, like. This, this is great. This might improve it. We should definitely take a look, but this has been here. And so coming into a space where teledermatology has been around, it's the earliest tele anything because it's visual. Like any, everything, it should be the easiest thing to do virtually because a lot, so much of it is visual. You have touch, you have other things. So you have Google's AI platform they've been building for so long and launched, but the critical parts that I think I'm focusing most on are like the systems aspect, which is what happened. Like, how do you generate awareness that a patient needs to have something looked at? What happens when they find something suspicious? So the biopsy, the care coordination, like getting the patient in, all these other elements that surround the diagnosis that are off that are still the tricky parts to solve. Because I think AI fundamentally is already a part of the triage process and it'll only become more so. It's just how do you embed all these other factors and variables around it so that way patients have the best outcomes. It just seems like something about it doesn't work because with AI and skin, I remember being sort of helping in the early stages of this company called Skin Vision 10 years ago. When we were building our company and, and um, uh, we almost became part of their company, they ended up raising $16 million and they were like, we're going to use AI to, this was 10 years ago, to, to, to take a picture on your phone and it just tells you what it is and that's it, you're done. And now we're 10 years later and there seemed to be nowhere to be found, this company, I don't, I don't know, look them up, but it just seems like something is harder than it seems in skin <laughs> picture scanning. Is this any truth to that? Or like, why do so many companies die trying to do that? Well, I mean, go to market is incredibly complex. <laughs> and so when you pick something to be good at, like you can have the best imaging models, but you still have to get it in front of a person, get them to use it, get them to pay for it. See if an insurer will pay for it. Healthcare is just such a beast in that sense of like what, lets the healthcare company survive versus die. Other aspects that I think are just interesting when it comes to um, AI and skincare are that you break it out into these like uh, skin cancers, so like moles or spot analysis, and then everything else. So like acne, rashes, wound care, and that to be really good with AI for, let's say, melanoma, you're going to have to get... one, it's becoming more common, but as a whole, like mortality is not very high as there's a lot of different factors that go into this, but you want to get that same type of melanoma on multiple skin tones at, and then that same melanoma, the st- right staging. That in and of itself, where dermatology has been historically um, limited to very urban areas, 
more limited with Caucasian skin types um, or, or focus on. So getting all that for just that one skin disease. So the data sets to be robust enough to be. So there's all of these like other aspects that to get a really good model always goes back to and saying whatever the data and the inputs that come into it. And so I think what we're doing more interestingly is we're using these specialized cameras called a dermatoscope that allow the providers we're working with to get much higher resolution photos of the spots of concern, which allows us to be building up, I think, and I believe, a much more robust and interesting data set as a whole. Can you kind of talk through the business model? I mean, it sounds like that it's almost a partnership in a way that when somebody onboards with you, there's a process and you have, they have to use specific kind of products or, or, or specific cameras. Can you, can you kind of walk through, like, how, how do you attract maybe the dermatologist uh, to partner with you and then what, what that kind of looks like and, and what the model is? Interestingly, given my mother's network in her space, she is always having different conversations with dermatologists and practices. So we've had a mostly organic relationship and growing with dermatologists to read our read with us and become partners, like you were saying. Um, at some point, that will likely change. But uh, in the near term, we've used that to our advantage, where there are these incredible world-class dermatologists who she's connecting with and that are taking time off from work to be with their kids. And so they want to work part-time. They're near retirement. There's all these circumstances where why they might want to work with us. And then on the flip side, the primary care groups that we're working with or the pharmacies that we're working with, um, we've had a couple of different channels of outreach. So we're working with a little over 45 or 50 clinics today since we launched. And those have come through a mixture of uh, we've written a few papers and presented at different conferences on those papers regarding accuracy and telehealth, um, being really diligent about great LinkedIn outreach and trying to just chat people up and finding the right intro right time, and then trying to join these different healthcare networks. So like even just the Healthcare New York Network group, I posted a little, little, little blurb and then have been, have been diligent in DMing people when I can or having people follow up with me and then, you know, different things come from that. Can you expand on the LinkedIn outreach? Like, what, what, yeah, how, how does that, I, I know Flavio's familiar in this space too. Just kind of curious, like what you're saying or how, how you're reaching out and how it's working. So it's not, and again, that's what I would say, like, of course you have to segment your funnel. So where are your big accounts versus where can you set something up automated uh, and have that running in the background? And that's sometimes the hardest because you have to be monitoring it and seeing what messaging is working and what's not working. Um, and I tried to take some of the lessons learned in running a consumer facing D2C company and like A-B testing on website coffee, like applying that same mentality to our outreach in a B2B setting. So LinkedIn I've used more so for setting, for building hopefully an audience, creating authentic relationships with people, always trying to find the smallest nugget on the internet. But people will say like, you know, you were chatting with this person that I'm having a meeting with, like, what were you talking to them about? I'm like, oh, I was on their website. I noticed something that wasn't working about their website. So I sent them a screenshot of it on LinkedIn and told them that, you know, oh, I was trying to find this piece of information out. And I noticed that they're um, from Georgia and my parents met at medical college in Georgia. And I will use any nugget to try to stand out. Because at the end of the day, I have had on calls where people say, you know, I get so many of these outreaches, but something was just a little different. And I don't know if they mean that in a good or, you know, different way, but... 
they're on the call. So it's a step forward. So it worked somewhat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's awesome. That's the, the hustle. That's a hallmark of success for sure. We've seen a uh, quick question on dermatology. I guess the, the uh, skeptic in me thinks if you go to a dermatologist, they're going to recommend some sort of biopsy surgery because the, they get paid much higher for, for those types of interventions they do for telling me, ah, it's nothing. Just take, take Eliana's cream and you'll be fine. Um, how would you respond to <laughs> such a skeptic? I think that I could say you're not alone and that the fear like this, whether it's going to the dentist, in cavities, is it really a cavity? Does it need to come out now? But then I think from the, also the viewpoint of the clinician is we have to, I try to assume like clinicians have good intent. We want to just, we can't live in a world where we're hoping that that's the case. We're living in a really sad world. Um, but the matter of the fact is a lot of patients feel that way about their providers that, you know, they just take everything or anything off me when I go in and I, I don't feel like that's the case. So that's one of the benefits and reasons why, honestly, a lot of these um, provider groups have signed up with us, especially those that are risk bearing. So like an ACO or um, an employer health or MA plan, because we have no incentive to do a procedure or whole incentive is to actually reduce an unnecessary referral by giving them a higher resolution photo and giving a more accurate answer. And so we're actually creating more of a triage. So we're saying when we give our answers back to providers, we say it's not skin cancer, not skin cancer. It's a level system. And with that level system, it helps them understand whether they should be monitoring it or the severity. And so as a whole, it's uh, we've heard so far from patients, it's a better, more reassuring weight of like, okay, actually, I can wait four to six weeks until my next dermatology appointment, because I now know that the spot is likely okay. And we can just monitor it for now versus it needing to be expedited and taken off immediately. Okay. Not to be weird, but I have a spot on my back and I just, I was about to say, I knew it. I knew it as soon as you said not to be weird. <laughs> I'm sure you hear this every day. And, and, and I was kind of looking for something like what you do around, um, because I, kind of, so I, I want to know exactly what you just said, like the severity. Uh, and I like that scoring system. You know, it's like, hey, this is six out of six. You should drop everything and go tomorrow uh, or today versus, you know, it could be something. Uh, it's two or three, but it could wait a few weeks or, or something like that. It, can you walk me through what, what the process is like from a consumer's perspective and kind of how you thought about that and how you built that out? I wish I could take all of the credit on this, but it comes back to actually our dermatology advisory committee. And setting up some of the aspects, one of the big things from the start, before we started working with primary care doctors, we had several TikToks go viral. And in that process, we started reaching out to some of these consumers who were commenting, saying, it's a six-month wait. I'm so anxious to get in. Um, and during that interview process with patients, that was one of the key learnings was just, I'm rotating between these dermatologists because I can't get in to see one soon enough, or it's a two to three hour drive and I'm taking a day off of work. And I don't know if I should be taking that day off of work. And so there's all these other things. And that's what led back into this idea of the patient journey really only begins once they get the diagnosis. It's not the end of the journey. And so what 
what would be more helpful is not if you hear, okay, you have something that needs to come off. Well, you're trying to, like you said, figure out, okay, do I need to take tomorrow off? Like, do I need to drop everything or am I okay to wait? And that's where it's trying to now talk to dermatologists from a clinical standpoint. What is the time to metastasize for a melanoma or for, we know melanoma can move more quickly. So that's why it's a a higher level compared to perhaps a basal cell carcinoma or a squamous cell carcinoma. Um, And then being able to break these out and write. So this is why we actually work with the providers, the primary care providers, the um, nurse practitioners, because their ability to imagine us at telehealth saying, hey, you likely have a melanoma. You need to, that's, that's scary. And so being able to share that with the clinician who then knows you as the patient and they can work with you to create a plan to say, you know, I really, they're going to be able to have a much more effective job in saying, you really need to go in. We've had a dermatologist look at this. They say it's urgent or them saying, you know, you're okay to wait three or four weeks. That's what that communication channel we found to be more effective. Can you speak to kind of your, like, where do you get inspiration, um, like kind of learning these models or, you know, these ways of thinking you you've said several of them on this, uh, on this pod, like where, where are you learning these things? Like where, where do you draw inspiration? Oh my, it has been a learning curve as a whole. I thought that learning about sunscreen, which is FDA registered, which most people do not know, um, was going to be the biggest challenge, but then you go into risk-based contracting and you, uh, think about where you want to start. So I went back to how I learned about, um, quantum computing in my Boeing days. And I just listened this. I talked to as many smart people as I could listen to as many crazy podcasts as I could and joined as many communities as I could. And I've, I've tried to apply that same mentality of, I actually start with the community first. So I've joined a group called health tech nerds, which I do need a referral code because I've told so many people <laughs> at this point, but it's been, um, you can kind of just read about and mine through information on different topics. And so I'll use it as a way, just almost adding a new word into my vocabulary. Every time I'll go there, I've been able to meet new people. They have coffee chats. I actually sign up for the, I'm the one on the virtual donut coffee chat on the other side. Who's like, just tell me what you do. How does it work? What are the problems? And then before I go out and try to do something in that nature, but, um, and then I've listened to like Hallie Teco's podcast. She has someone for, um, it's more of like the investing founder stories and healthcare side of things. Hallie Teco of Rock Health. They have a podcast. Is yeah. That the one? Also the Founder Secrets podcast is my go-to resource. Oh man. Yeah, oh, boom. There we go. One. Yeah. Definitely let them know. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to credit. And then probably a lot of long walks with my mother. We go on um like hour long walks whenever we're together and we'll just truly probably look like lunatics just with our hands up some people have whiteboarding sessions and we're just like in the middle of suburbia chapel hill walking with our hands wild trying to think through of how we can make this model work but it's also those are like the fun memories that i'm sure we'll have for a long time oh that's awesome well any advice you have for for you know that entrepreneur that's just you know getting ready maybe they're like uh Venture for America, considering going that path, any any advice you have for that for that person? One piece of advice specifically is to focus in on one problem, one 
thing that you can do incredibly well. I, you hear this a lot, which is focus, but I don't think saying focus really helps you very much. I think in reality that it's a lot easier to just fo- focus on doing something really well and everything else can follow. And you start to, as you do that one thing really well, you'll start to notice other areas that can be prioritized and added in. Because if you do try to do three things very well, it's so tempting because you're like, but I could do those other two things. I've not, I've not seen that work out to my advantage so far. So, uh, and the second piece of advice is never take any advice. Just do your thing. I, I love it. I got to say this, this might be the most heartfelt uh, interview, you know, with, the, the, with your mom and like the, it, it feels just like this, like lovely family business in a way. Uh, this like growing family empire. Well, she should be on You don't here. think so. Be, no. <laughs> so I always like to say, because it's not for everyone, it will fundamentally forever change your relationship. And so I think that the, I look now again, this like retrospect story, my grandparents worked together for 60 years. My other grandparents worked together. My parents have even worked together and written books together. And so maybe there's something there. Maybe I'm just put putting ingredients in the mixer and just mixing it on up. But yeah, I, I think that we found something that works and where her strengths and our strengths, they can, they can. They work well together. Cool. And my dad helps out a lot too. I have to give him a shout out. He's a primary care doc. He informs a lot of us. Oh, he finally he finally gets a shout out at the I very know. end. He's like, oh yeah, he's still there. He's there too. Yeah. He's doing <laughs> he does amazing things. He's wonderful. Um, so gotta give him a shout out. Well, Eliana, thank you so, so much for coming on the Founder Secrets Pod. It has been a true joy. Thank you. All right. Have a good one. All right. Cheers. Thanks, Eliana. Talk Bye. soon. Thank you for rocking with the homies. Taylor Trusty and Flavio seize the day on it. Until next time, hold it down, hold it down. Hey.